So as Vince mentioned a moment ago, we are starting off our Lent series this week. So Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, which was just this past Wednesday, and leads up to Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we are kicking off our second annual project of giving up false, unhelpful, and harmful beliefs for Lent. So this follows the trajectory of giving up something for Lent, but the aim here is not to pick these back up afterwards. So you can go back to eating chocolate, but please don't go back to these beliefs. That would not be super helpful. Instead, we'll be working on picking up some new beliefs that you can take up in their place, things that would be more helpful and more sustaining and just better sources of hope. So we'll continue to be following the prompt from Richard Rohr that you can't think yourself into new ways of living. You have to live yourself into new ways of thinking. So each week we'll be offering some practical experiments to help you do this, to help solidify these new beliefs, new prayer practices and exercises that you can do if you want to and if it feels helpful as we take this on together. So our first topic that we are going to explore in this series is the belief that certainty saves. I think it can be really easy to caricature this belief and immediately think of the most extreme forms of fundamentalism. But I'd argue that an assumed certainty when it comes to the belief is the backbone of many faith communities. Doubt and confusions are painted as these brief seasons you may go through or limited experiences you may have after which you return to this baseline of certainty and confidence. But for many of us, I can imagine that the doubts and confusion, critiques and lack of clarity are actually more of a norm. They're not just a brief season. And you're not wired incorrectly if this is the case. The reality is is that we are all simultaneously skeptics and believers, not one or the other. And trying to paint believer as an identity source and skeptic as a character flaw isn't fair. It's also not fair to paint believer as naive or skeptic as educated and enlightened. We're all simultaneously those. And if we take out certainty as the backbone, we don't have to end up with a spineless faith. Our hope tip for today is to talk through some options for different ways of thinking about certainty not as a necessity for salvation or an unwavering norm, but something that can and should continue to be wrestled with and reformed. And so I'd love to encourage you to participate on Discord as we're talking through this topic today. Would love to hear from you all there what your current relationship with the idea of certainty is, and especially if there's anything beyond certainty that feels like a better, more hopeful source of good news. So as we start, I wanted to start with uh, kind of the good that gets twisted here, the redeeming value behind this belief. Because all of the beliefs and ideas that we're unpacking in this series don't just form out of nowhere. They have a purpose and often are really well-intentioned. And then they either get misused and misinterpreted or elevated and emphasized at the expense of other beliefs or other realities people encounter. And as always, looking at the impact of these beliefs is just as important, if not more important, as looking at the intent of the beliefs. But it's safe to say that it's evident for all the beliefs we're talking through in this series that the impact has been harmful or unhelpful in some way. That's why we're talking about them. At the same time, we can hold that and still look at what the underlying intent may be. 
If you're coming at this as a cynic, it may be easy to assume that everything that is harmful or ill-intended or unhelpful is ill-intended and cruel. But I think we can continue to extend compassion as we humanize the why behind these beliefs. As we're specifically looking at this belief that certainty saves, I want to recognize that it can be comforting. And not just with religious certainty, but any form of certainty and structure can be a source of comfort. I don't think it's a stretch to say most people like to know what to expect. Theoretically, the more certainty we have, the less room there is for surprises or unknowns. And it makes sense that we would have a natural inclination to trust voices that seem certain or to rely on things that we know or feel like we've always known, especially when so much else in life can be chaotic and unknown. Certainty can also appear to be unifying, can help you find commonality with people. There's a connection that's been studied about being certain about something and then following through with concrete action based on those certainties. For example, you may not want to back a cause or participate in something if the person leading the charge isn't actually certain about what they're fighting for. There's a really interesting number of studies that connect certainty with being persuasive, like the entire point of having certainty is so you can persuade other people. So this makes sense that if you are attempting to convert someone to a religious group, to a particular belief or certain cause, that you would want to lead the way with certainty. Just as an interesting counter to that, I actually found one study that said that if an expert or someone in power expressed uncertainty, people were actually more likely to listen closer, which I found really interesting. Another thing here is that you can be set against other unhelpful ideologies and systems when you claim certainty. There's this narrative that still prevails that Christianity is a persecuted religion, and so in this case, certainty would mean survival of that religion. It's interesting here to think about the early developing church or religious communities at their onset, this need and desire to be set apart from all the other th ways of thinking that were out there. When you look through early church history, you see a lot of councils and creeds and a lot of confusing language trying to solidify and pass down what exactly is it that we believe in. And there's a push here for things like what does the Bible say and what does tradition say instead of the openness of what could the Bible say or what could tradition say. And the need was survival. The need was to be passed on. I want to move now to talk a little bit about why this idea of certainty saves is unhelpful. And the first thing I'll mention is that it doesn't make room for mystery. If we continue with this example of the early church, early followers of Jesus and eventual mystics, there was this inevitability of, the, of mystery that was a given. And we can use, um, we need that distinction, but we can lose a lot of it today. Not knowing wasn't seen as a fluke or a flaw even as they were searching to solidify their beliefs and understandings with language, there was room for not knowing, there was room for mystery. And in fact, it was an invitation into deeper listening, an invitation into prayer and wonder. Not knowing wasn't something to feel shame about, it was a signal to keep wondering, to find God in things like dreams and nature and silence. A stress on certainty as the source of truth and salvation completely overrides this beauty of mystery and the truths that can come from the spiritual and the emotional. I was re-listening to an old episode of an 
a podcast called Armchair Expert, where Dak Shepard and Monica Padman interviewed Nadia Boltz-Weber. They, um, it's a really great podcast. They typically interview celebrities and experts in various fields. So Nadia was um, brought on as kind of a Christianity expert or religion expert to be interviewed there. And the tone of the conversation was really interesting because Dax is an atheist and is very vocal about that. And Nadia is a pastor and theologian. As an aside in this conversation, um, I found it super interesting that their main sources of connection were the fact that they are both recovering addicts and that they both explicitly expressed that they weren't trying to convince anyone else to give up their own personal belief system and convert to theirs. Dax said that he wasn't the type of atheist who would want to convince anyone to stop believing. And they joked that Nadia wasn't getting any end of the year bonuses for filling up more seats on Sundays. So there is an accepted openness there. But when it comes to certainty, what I found really interesting was that they talked about this distinction between what is factual and what is true and how we can conflate the two. Nadia says that this is kind of a rather new obsession with fact or what is factual. She says we weren't even thinking about verifiably factually true until about 20 minutes ago in humanity. And she highlights here the shift in thinking that follows the enlightenment, that as human reason is elevated, fundamentalism becomes a religious response. Now to compete with scientific ways of understanding reality in order to still have a claim to truth found in the religious or spiritual realm, there's this pressure to hold spiritual truths in the same regard as reason and fact. And so the result here is that people end up having to dig their heels in and believe that matters of spirituality and faith can be studied and measured just like other competing fields. And this assertion of certainty that comes from trying to keep up in the world is everywhere today. Viewing X, Y, and Z as competing with the church or things like culture wars, you might hear that language tossed around. Competition forces certainty. I can remember being encouraged to have something like an elevator pitch of what it meant to follow Jesus ready, these like preloaded responses ready to go so that when you came up against anything different, you had something prepared, something already set in stone. I also want to highlight that certainty saves can be a really unhelpful belief because often we are trying to be certain about the wrong things. Nadia and Dax bring this up in their conversation, but often certainty is expected surrounding the Bible, but the Bible isn't a book of certainty. And if the expectation was complete uniformity of belief in order to experience salvation, then the Bible isn't exactly the most helpful guide. Like We weren't given the best resource if that's what's expected of us. And we can look at the teachings of Jesus as an example here. He often told things like parables and stories in response to questions. There were things like the way he walked and lived as sources of truth, this embodied messaging that can't exactly be studied. Or I think of the number of times that he asked people questions in return when people asked him questions. It's not exactly straightforward and clear messaging. But that doesn't mean that certainty is absent. There are definite moments from Jesus when his teachings and responses are direct and clear. And it's really interesting to look at when he answers directly and when he tells a story or a parable instead. For an example of this, um, this is captured in three of the gospel books that we have that talk about Jesus' life. 
And in this um, example, the Pharisees are gathering to question Jesus. And one of them asks a question to test him. Um, This is from the book of Matthew in chapter 22. This person says, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So it's undeniably clear here that loving God, neighbor, and self are essential. These are the most important commandments. And so the centrality of love should be the most unifying and magnetic belief, not a polarizing topic. In the Luke telling of this story, immediately this um, explanation is followed up with the question, and who is my neighbor? And I think that's really interesting because even there, even in the clarity, we're looking for parameters and rules around who to love and how to love. So when we look at this, I think often we're caught up in pretending that there is clarity and certainty in places in the Bible and in tradition when there really isn't. And then we overlook or complicate passages when there is clarity like this one. Who is my neighbor? I wonder for you, I want to pause here, if you can think about any other unhelpful parts of this belief. Why the idea of certainty saves has been unhelpful for you and your experience. Now, there are some unique challenges in giving up this belief of certainty saves. An obvious one here is that letting go of a need for absolute certainty can be really destabilizing. We talked about how certainty can be a form of comfort, a form of structure, of knowing what to expect. So it makes sense that letting that go would be destabilizing. But I want to stress that this isn't just some mental or intellectual journey. It has really big embodied implications. Because sometimes letting go of particular beliefs means leaving behind particular communities, and that can be really hard. There's a quote that I came across yesterday from author Dante Stewart, and he says, many people don't leave Jesus or religion because they hate both. They leave because they realize how often we love theology more than people, control more than inclusivity, arrogance more than humility, assimilation more than freedom, and power more than love. Expecting total certainty as the norm in a religious community can emphasize everything that he's listing here. Elevating theology, control, arrogance, assimilation, and power at the expense of people, inclusivity, humility, freedom, and love. And even so, choosing people, inclusivity, humility, freedom, and love can be difficult, even if you know it's right, because it can bring about loneliness and hard changes when your community and the people around you need to shift. And I really want to recognize that. I think another challenge is captured in this idea of the slippery slope of anything goes. It's a really popular argument that you may hear as well, once you start believing blank, it's a slippery slope. I think this one's really interesting because often the underlying messaging is like, well, once you start loving these people, you have to start loving these people. Just something to think about there. But I want to remind us here that just because something can mean more than one thing 
doesn't mean that it can mean anything. It's not anything goes. We can use this filter of the greatest commandment as an example. You have this clear precedent, clear direction set by Jesus, the importance of loving God, loving self, and loving neighbor. And so yes, things are open for interpretation. They can hold more than one meaning, but they often still, they always still need to align with the premise of loving God, self, and neighbor. That can be a really helpful check. I also want to highlight that it can be a challenge um, in giving up this idea of certainty saves, that it can be tempting to create new systems of certainty while you're leaving behind old systems of certainty. Nadia talks about this in her interview on Armchair Expert. She says, from her experience, it's easier to leave a fundamentalist church than it is to leave the thinking it gave you. And in her words, she ended up becoming this super hardcore leftist activist, but it's really the same kind of thinking. Either you're down with the cause or you're against us. And I think we can unintentionally set up new benchmarks for being a real follower of Jesus or maybe more um, a truly good and moral person. We set up these new parameters, these new things that you need to be certain about in place of old forms of certainty. Without even meaning to, we can take on the form of what you're critiquing in the first place. And I think it's really helpful to keep in mind. Now, I do want to offer the distinction here that certainty isn't bad on its own. That's not what I'm trying to say, because there are things that I'm certain about. But the wording of certainty saves is intentional. Absolute certainty, elevated as the expectation, the requirement even, can keep people in shame and can keep people out and can easily feed into supremacies. So it's important for us to consider what am I certain about and how does that function in the world? Now, we're not going to just stop here because this would be pretty doom and gloom if like, well, this all sucks. Good luck out there. <laughs> That's not the hope or the trajectory of these messages throughout Lent. It's not just to say, okay, this is tricky. Just give it up and good luck. We want to offer some new beliefs, some new practices in their place so that you're left with something constructive as well. So if we go back to that original image of we don't need to have a spineless faith just because certainty isn't the backbone, there are new beliefs, new backbones of faith that we can put in place here. And one of them that comes to mind, we're going to have some alliteration here. So we're going to move from certainty to creativity and curiosity. So if we put creativity in as a foundation, as a backbone, creativity for me is far more inclusive and hopeful than certainty. I know for me personally, I'm drawn toward things like poetry and music and artwork as sources of meaning and truth and beauty. Again, that truth piece, it's helpful to keep in mind that true and factual distinction. Pursuing the creative can be a really grounding embrace of mystery and unknown in practical ways. And so this could be a practical experiment for you to look to creative practices as a way to take certainty off of the pedestal. I think of things like art therapy where you're focusing on the process of creating over the product of what you create. Creating just to create and viewing that as a way to find a deeper connection with God and with yourself, not something that you can do right or wrong. Now I wanna recognize that for some people, this seems comforting and fun. If you are a poetry person like me or enjoy art or things like that, 
And I also know that not everyone is like that. And for some people, things like this may be deeply frustrating. Like, but what does it actually mean? What's the right meaning? What's the right and wrong way to do this? And so if you feel more like that, I'm gonna offer another experiment here that's still just as creative. I would really invite you to engage with the work of liberation theologians. And if you're interested in this, Vince and I can definitely give you a list of books and authors that we'd invite you to explore. Because when we look at black liberation theology or feminist liberation theology, womanism, queer theology, these are all models of creatively interacting with scripture and tradition and often looking for things like how can this be reinterpreted to be more freeing and less oppressive, better news. This opens up the possibilities of what could be instead of what has to be. Another new backbone of faith that we can put in here is the idea of curiosity. We've talked about curiosity as a really important value a lot. And I think it brings to mind for me that we will always need connection more than we need answers. One of the pitfalls of putting certainty on a pedestal is that we miss out on opportunities for real connection. I think sometimes curiosity can be painted as being cute. Like I think of my son Oliver being curious about something. It's like, oh, that's so cute. But really, curiosity as a force is resilient and is hopeful. Certainty crumbles, and it's strangely more fragile. I think of gripping something so tightly that it shatters. Curiosity is able to keep us looking for more, keep us looking for something new, and letting that be a source of hopeful truth instead of viewing the newness as a threat. It's much more sustaining than certainty. Remaining curious demands that we stay present so that when a belief comes up against our embodied experience, we have the option here to either shift toward humanity, toward what is most loving, and if you're in a posture of curiosity, you let that experience change your belief. When you're used to operating with curiosity as a faithful backbone, these changes don't feel as earth-shattering and destabilizing. They're just naturally coming out of doing what is most reflective of a loving God. So practical experiments here, and I'm wondering if anyone else has suggestions for experiments that you can implement to help you stay curious. I think anything that helps us stay open is really important, even if our inclination is to be defensive or closed off. Something that comes to mind for me as a practice um, is something I started doing at the end of my time in seminary. I was in a class setting where I knew going into the class that I believed things that very differently than what the professor teaching the course believed. And so it would have been really tempting to just tune out completely or to be in a defensive position the entire time I was listening. But instead, I decided to take up a new practice. I made an ongoing list of things I know to be true. As I listened, I sifted through the content and would keep track of the things that this professor said that I also believed in. And it was a really grounding practice that helped me stay present, that didn't force me to just toss everything out the window and be on the defensive the whole time, but really truly listen and find commonality this could be something that you do when listening to someone who comes from um, like a different faith background than you that you don't have much experience with. But arguably, I think it's even harder to do it when you're listening to someone who's coming from a background that you've chosen to move away from. 
And the reason I like this is because it's an exercise in patience. It's an exercise in humility and in hopeful listening. It's not a litmus test. You're not setting up your own system of certainty and judging people on the conclusions that you're come to. So I'd love to see if there's any other suggestions for practical things that we can do together to stay curious. As I've continued to move away from elevating certainty, I've grown more personally comfortable with resting in the I don't knows and the maybes. This has actually helped solidify what I do know in a strange way. It's helped me prioritize what I cling to and what I fight for. And I've realized that when it comes to faith, what I am certain about tends to fall in two categories, God's character and mystery. I'm certain that God is loving and redemptive. And I am certain that there are mysterious ways that I experience this love and redemption that I will never be able to fully describe or name. For me, this is the way that peace shows up in the midst of anxiety, the miraculous nature of the sun rising again, the coming together of community and the resilience of hope that I see others offer, even in the most awful of circumstances. So would you feel encouraged in letting curiosity and creativity be legitimate backbones, solid foundations of faith, foundations that can weather all of the doubts and uncertainties that you carry? And would you know that you are not alone in this, that you are in good company with many who stand on similar foundations of unknowing and look to Jesus anyway? Now, I'd like to invite you to join me in a prayer practice as we close, so feel free to get comfortable in your seat and take a few deep breaths to get settled in here. And if you're comfortable doing so, if it doesn't feel too weird, <laughs> I invite you to just hold your hands open in front of you. You can rest them on your lap. Hold open hands facing palms up. And take a few deep breaths here to just take a moment to be still. God, you hold with us all that we know, all that we do not know, and all that we are trying to know to be true. Would you help us sift through what we may need to let go of, to loosen our grip on, and what we can feel at peace holding on to? God, would you help us to recognize when the need for certainty and clarity and answers comes bubbling up? Would this not lead us into despair? Would it not lead us to dig our heels into things that we've always known? But would you keep us open, open to changing our minds, even if we make mistakes in the process? Like the mystics, would we look for you in stillness and silence, in dreams and in nature, in things that hold creative beauty, that can hold truth? Would we listen more closely? 
And would you help us to recognize that we are not alone in the learning and unlearning, in the giving up and taking up? Would you help us remain curious and open, hopeful and attentive, as we participate in your love and justice in the world? Amen. <laughs>